Please be seated. with us uh, last week. We hope that'll be a pattern in your life. We hope you felt welcome at First Baptist Church, and we're so, so very glad you're here. So thank you, Connection Group leaders and uh, members, for uh, working hard to make people understand that we are about reaching people for Christ and turning outward at First Baptist Church. I want to take a moment to celebrate a second thing. Last Monday, we had our first uh, meeting in our new building at Oakley Ministry Center. Uh, and we did a dedication for it. So there's an outward picture. Here's one more outside picture of it. Uh, for those of you who haven't been there, I'm just going to give you a quick tour. Now, the, we would love for you to come visit on a Monday. The best way to come is to sign your connection group up to provide a meal at the Welcome Center and come and, and you'll get to see it. Okay, we'll look at some inside shots. There's Jake uh, uh, preaching in the worship time. There's Julia Sullivan leading uh, worship and uh, people with their Bibles open, what a great sight that is. And there's a meal that we do every week that a connection group supplies. There's food distribution through Second Harvest Food Bank uh, where people can get groceries. There's one of our connection groups. That's our Early Risers connection group that meets at 745 that was doing the uh, uh, meal. And that's our new kitchen. So we praise God. I think that's it, right? So we praise God for uh, Oakley Ministry Center. It's all paid for because you gave through Finish the Race, above and beyond your uh, tithes and offerings over the past three years before we started Finish Line. Praise God. Amen. I'm sharing a series of sermons. We're going through the book of Galatians. And the theme of Galatians, if you're new with us today, it's about salvation. It's about understanding our salvation. And it's specifically defending the truth that salvation is received by faith in Jesus alone, that there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Paul is combating some false teachers who had come into the churches at Galatia and had said that to be saved, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to keep the Old Testament law. And Paul is defending that you could never do enough. You would have to keep every bit of the law to avoid the curse. And so that salvation is by grace through faith. So um, in, last week we learned that one of the defenses that Paul used uh, in uh, uh, defending the gospel of salvation by faith was that even people in the Old Testament we're not saved by keeping the law. You may have thought, well, people in the Old Testament saved by keeping the law. Now in the New Covenant, in Jesus, we're saved by faith in him. No, Paul showed that Abraham was saved by his faith. So that brings up the question then, well, if the law didn't save people, what's the purpose of the law? What's the purpose of the Old Testament? Well, if, uh, if, uh, if it doesn't, wasn't to save us, 
then why didn't God just cut to the chase and just send Jesus and come right to the New Testament? Was it like God messed up? He tried this plan, plan A, and plan A didn't work, so uh uh-oh, now what am I going to do? Oh, well, I'll do plan B. No, God knew all along. So why, if the Old Testament was never intended for the law to save people, what is the purpose of the Old Testament? That's what we want to look at today. And it has some implications for how we do evangelism. It has implications, as we'll see, for Christian parenting, how you raise your children. It's an important question. So let's look at beginning at Galatians chapter 3 um, in verse 19. And we're going to see that he shares three purposes of the Old Testament. The first purpose of the Old Testament is this. The law, the law establishes us as transgressors. Um, it exposes our sinful nature. So the first purpose of the Old Testament law, it's going to prove or establish that you and I are transgressors, that we've crossed a line. And it's going to expose our sinful nature. So let's look at verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? See, there's our question that Paul's asking. Why was the law given at all if it doesn't save us? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, that's Jesus, to whom the promise referred, has come. So it was added by God temporarily until Christ could come to save us, and its first purpose was because of transgressions, that is, to define our transgressions, to define us as transgressors and prove us as rebels. Now, let let me give you an example to make that clear. Suppose today that I was to go downstairs to WeConnect, where your preschoolers are, and I was going to go into the We Connect room with a small black box and sit it on a table in the middle of the room and say, hey, listen, boys and girls, I'm going to put this little black box here in the middle of the room, and there's nothing in this box that you need to be happy or have a good time today, and you're not to touch or to look in this little black box. You can play with any of these toys and books and puzzles all around the room, but but don't touch or look in this little black box, okay? And then I leave the room. Now, what do you think is going to happen there? (laughs) Don't you think that your precious, wonderful little preschoolers are at least going to be tempted to go look in that black box or touch it, right? Now, I didn't make your preschoolers sinners. They were already sinners, but my law defined them, established them as transgressors. Because I gave a rule, and they are tempted to transgress that rule, right? That's the purpose of the law. It defines or establishes that you're a transgressor. You say, well, that's sort of a silly story. Isn't that exactly what God did in the Garden of Eden? God said, you can eat of any of these trees, but I'm going to put one tree in the center of the Garden of Eden and you're not to eat of it. And what did that do? That law, that rule, established us as transgressors, right? It revealed what was already within us, but the law brings that out. It reveals our salvation. So the law, the Old Testament, is setting us up for grace because you've got to understand you're lost before you can ever be saved. And so the law establishes us as transgressors. Secondly, the law imprisons us in our sin. It locks us up. It imprisons us. It cuts off any avenue of escape. That is, not only does it reveal I'm a transgressor, but it it shows me I can't ever do enough. I say, okay, I'm a sinner. I realize I'm a transgressor, so I'm going to be better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to change. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. 
And this standard of the law that I can never make, measure up to imprisons me in my sin, shows me that I can't get out of it anyway on my own. All right, that's what we're going to see in the next verses. Look at verse 21. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? And the answer is absolutely not, Paul says. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has, here's the purpose, has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Verse 23, before the coming of faith, we were held in custody, imprisoned, held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law, the Old Testament law, all of this in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, it shows me I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to change my life on my own. Not only am I a sinner, but I'm imprisoned in my sin. This is who I am, and I can't do enough to change or make up for it on my own. And it brings me to a point of despair, and that's the point of the law. The third purpose of the law, according to what Paul says here, is then the law leads us to Christ. After it's revealed that we're transgressors, and it's imprisoned us in this system, then it delivers us, it leads us to Christ, and points us to Him as the only hope of salvation. Look at verse 24 and 25. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So this word guardian here was a Greek word for usually a slave in a well-to-do Greek household who would take children ages 6 to 16 to school. He would protect them, he would deliver them, he would discipline them, but he would get them to the one who would teach them. I think it corresponds to a school bus driver in our culture today. A school bus driver is not the one, the final destination of your kids. You don't put them on the bus that you want them to stay on the bus all day, but you put them on the bus for a very important function to deliver them safely to school. And so this deliver, that's what the law is here. It's not where we're going to stay, but it's an important guardian. Next verse says, verse um, 25, now, now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So the law, having cut off all escape, pushes us, drives us, delivers us to Christ. That's the point of the Old Testament. That's why God started with it, to reveal our sin, to imprison us in the system of sin, and to push or drive or deliver us to Christ. Now, that's what he's wanting to do in your life today. If you feel, realize you're a sinner, if you feel locked up in that system, he's pushing you toward the hope, the only hope you have, the one who can change you, the one who will become a curse for you. His name is Jesus. Now, let me show you how these principles work out. Let me give an example from a conversation that Jesus had. Look in your Bible. We're going to see an illustration of what we've just looked at in Galatians in Luke 18, beginning at verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I would expect Jesus to answer this question. Repent and believe in me. That's the answer, right? 
But that's not the answer Jesus gives. Look at what Jesus says. Why do you call me good? Verse 19, Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Before I understood the message of Galatians, I struggled with what Jesus said there. I wondered, Jesus, why did you respond that way? Why did you tell this guy when he asked you how to have eternal life? Why didn't you say, believe in me right now and you can be saved and that's it? You know, that's the answer. Why did Jesus talk to him about the law? I didn't understand that. But when you read Galatians, I think it makes sense. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's pointing this man to the law to reveal his transgression, establish him as a transgressor, to lock him up in the system of law and to deliver him to Christ. He's taking him through the Old Testament before the New Testament here. He's showing him that he's lost before he can show him how to be found. Well, the man said in verse 21, all these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. Really? I'm not sure that was the right answer there. I'm not sure he had kept every, what we saw in Galatians, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. I'm not sure he'd done everything. So Jesus ramps it up a little bit more. And you may have wondered, why did Jesus say this? I think this is the reason. Verse 22, when Jesus heard, he said to them, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. You know what Jesus is doing? He thinks he's kept all the law. All right, so Jesus is going to give him another law. And say, okay, you want to get to heaven? Sell everything and follow me. And he's trying to bring him, I believe, to this point of despair where he says, I'm not good enough. Then you're in the right place. When you're established as a transgressor, locked up in sin, then you're headed in the right direction. You see, I think this has implications, what we've learned about the purpose of the Old Testament for Christian parenting. Christian parenting, you want your kids to experience the grace of God and put their faith in Jesus and internalize their faith. But you can't start there. You've really got to start in the Old Testament with your kids. Your kids need some rules. Your kids need some laws in their lives. And those laws will not only reveal your will to them, but those laws will also show them that they're sinners and that they need a Savior. And so if we rescue our kids from all failure and never establish any rules for them, we're really shortcutting the process that God established in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's why in Train Up on our church website where we have some suggestions of what you could teach your kids at each year or grade of life, we have in the third grade to teach them the Ten Commandments. And in the fourth grade to teach them the plan of salvation. Why? Because your kids, just like all of us, have got to understand they're lost before they'll ever understand how to be found. And sometimes in America today, in our preaching, we're so, we're so sensitive that we don't want to talk about the law and rules, and we're shortchanging the very process that God established with Old Testament laws that would lead us, deliver us, to where we really want people to be faith in Christ. And it's part of why we don't appreciate the Lord's Supper. We come today to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it is the grace of God through the body and blood of Jesus that he gave his life as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin. But it's only when we've been through the law 
that we'll really savor grace. It's only when we appreciate our lostness and that we are established as transgressors, locked up in sin, that we will find the sweetness of grace in Jesus Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, it's only when one submits to the law that one can speak of grace. It's not Christian to try to get to the New Testament too soon or too directly. In other words, you, you really need to meet Moses before you'll ever appreciate meeting Jesus. But when you come to the point and see my inadequacy, like Jesus was doing with this rich young ruler, then you'll come to the point where you'll run to Jesus and that what Jesus has done for you will be so incredibly sweet. Today we celebrate the grace that has come to sinners in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the meal that he has given us. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to serve the Lord's Supper. As I'm praying, I want to invite our deacons who are going to be serving to come and join me here at the front. And if you're a guest with us, and you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you're our brother or sister, if you're no matter where you're from or what denomination, then we, we want to invite you to share with us in this table and uh, to have a taste of what heaven will be like when we are all together around the table and Jesus is here in person and serves us in person. Until then, we walk by faith and we look back to his death as the foundation of our faith. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we come around this table, as you've taught us to do, may this be a holy and a sweet moment in our lives. I pray that we will have experienced something of the imprisonment of the law and the desperation of our sin so that we will worship you for your grace and your goodness and the free gift of salvation. And we realize that free gift came by the breaking of your body as it was beaten and then nailed to a cross and the shedding of your blood as it poured out as a perfect sacrifice for us. We thank you, Jesus. This is a time we want to renew our covenant relationship with you. We want to draw close to you. We confess any sin that lingers in our life or is cropped up in our lives because, Lord, we want to be right with you. We want all sin under the blood. We confess it. We turn from it. We, we will ask for renewal in our lives that you'll fill us again with your Holy Spirit and give us power and boldness and strength. So, Lord, may this be a time we meet you through this Lord's Supper. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to the death of Christ as depicted in the Lord's Supper. Maybe as you shared in this, you realized that I've never personally repented of my sin, put my faith in Jesus. Maybe you've been to church, done religious things, but has there been a time in your life when you've accepted what Jesus has done for you personally? You've prayed and received him as your Savior. Today you can do that. It means you should be baptized. That's the, the first of the two ordinances, the sign of the beginning of the Christian life. And it means that he'll be Lord of your life. But today you can receive that gift and begin to follow him. We're going to stand in a moment and have a song of invitation. During this song, you're welcome to slip out from where you're standing and walk to the front to indicate, I want to become a Christian. A decision counselor will answer any questions you have. If you need a church home, in the same time, you can come forward and join our church. We'd welcome you into this fellowship. Let's stand together, and as God speaks to your heart, would you come? Just as I am without one thee, but that thy blood was shed Offerings now as an act of worship. 
we give back to God. We could never repay God for what he's done for us, but we show our gratitude by giving him back a portion of what he's given us. If you're a guest, uh, you can just give a, put your guest card in there. Let that be your offering. We're glad you're here. I'll be at the Welcome Center after the uh, end of our service. I'd love to meet you if you're a guest with us. Uh, stop by there on your way out. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for another beautiful day. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings you've given us. Your grace is sufficient. Lord, we just ask you to be with us today. Be with us as we have this opportunity to give back to you. Lord, I pray that we take these offerings and we use them in a way that brings honor and glory to your name and to your son's name, Jesus Christ. All these things we ask and pray in your precious name. Amen.